Remember, for it to be a forward pass, it's got to go forward. Fitzgerald in the Steelers territory. 30, 20, 10. Arizona has the lead. It's all the non-believers. How did that? It's all the non-believers. Especially you, Tom Jackson. Anybody can be beat. He's got something. He's got it. He's got it. 20, 10. He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. He wants to get in a fight. You can't do that. The quarterback, you can't fight. All right, uh, this week I'm delighted to say we've got uh, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus with us. Um, Kean is on a train and so it's unavailable to us. Sam, how you doing? I'm good, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. It's uh, been a pretty interesting week. Turns out that the Denver Broncos are swinging for the fences. Yeah, that was an absolutely ridiculous performance. That was one of those games that, that went really differently to how I was expecting it to go, and yet you come away <laughs> kind of happy that it did because that's one of the greatest defensive performances that we've seen in years, maybe decades. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the greatest to ever play at more or less the top of his game. And that entire offense just had the life choked out of them by the Denver defense. Is How much of this is to do with, okay, so they're obviously one of the all-time great defenses if they continue this through the, the regular season. They're kind of going to start having... Uh, People compare them to the 85 Bears, and that's probably not overhyping it too much. I mean, the chatter hasn't quite started just yet, but um, certainly their performances have been unbelievable. But from the Green Bay perspective, is this where we're beginning to see what the decimation of the weapons available actually means for Aaron Rodgers? So when he's having a bad day, there's nobody who can put in a, an amazing performance to just get the off the offense going? I mean, what you see from Green Bay at the moment is that there's no Jordy Nelson there anymore, so... The plan is basically to wait until pressure gets there and allow Aaron Rodgers to buy a little bit more time for those receivers to uncover later in the route. You know, later when they um, they run the first thing, it gets covered, then they, they ad-lib and they break it off and they run something else, and that's when they tend to shake open. And that's when Aaron Rodgers finds the guy, hits him, and it's a positive play and everybody's happy. But Denver has the coverage on the back end, unlike any other team, that can um, that can completely shut down the back end of that as well and cover those guys after they ad lib, cover those guys after they're trying to shake free like seven seconds into play, and they did that all the way through this game. Um, and yeah, Green Bay don't have anyone at the moment that can get open immediately. But I think the bigger problem is they're they're not setting those guys up um, to succeed with kind of stacked uh, stacked bunch concepts, you know, releases off the line, the kind of stuff that that schemes a guy open early um, and lets the quarterback hit them that way. Yeah, okay, so that's obviously uh, a, a huge advantage um, and one of the reasons why we saw what we saw at the weekend. The other thing that we didn't really quite expect was the Denver offense to be as successful as it was. The run game looked like uh, a run game from a season ago and Peyton Manning could also throw the ball as far as he wanted and find receivers. Yeah, it was interesting. I was doing some of the all-22 um, checks that we do on this game, and the first couple of plays that we checked were Peyton Manning passes down the middle. And even just from those couple of passes, you immediately thought, 
that arm looks a bit different than it's looked recently. That Those passes had a bit more zip on them. They looked a bit more live. They looked a little less likely to be picked off by a waiting linebacker just sitting under them. Um, he did look a bit different. I've talked to Denver players that have said that in practice, his arm looks fine. It, it doesn't look like the just the, the prohibitive disaster that it's been for a lot of the games so far this season. And they do think that he still has the ability to play as he's done in 2013, a bit of half of 2014. So, and you know, CJ Anderson, I think we've just been waiting for him to get back on track. The guy is a very good running back. The offensive line hasn't been helping necessarily, but he's also been banged up. So I think there's more to come from this Broncos offense. Yeah, and that's the scary part here because everybody's like, oh, the, the, the D can't really win the whole thing on its own. But the D plus a functioning offense suddenly, and that's a very, very different prospect. For whatever reason, I think they're still as, as big as 10 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, and that seems like a pretty good bet at this stage. Yeah, I mean, so I've been comparing them to the, the 2013 Seahawks team all season long, um, both in terms of an all-time great defense that doesn't necessarily get talked about in the same breath as the 85 Bears or the 2000 Ravens, but it should be. Um, but also because the offense is the same kind of thing. It was a powerful run game. The offensive line wasn't great. Russell Wilson played well enough to get it done without being a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers kind of quarterback. And now that's what the Denver Broncos need to look for. They used to get enough going with C.G. Anderson on the ground, become a competent offense, and Peyton Manning to become just good enough to not throw it away with the, the bad decisions he's been making. If they can, they're really set up to to repeat an almost exact same season from that Seahawks team. Yeah, um, and then, you know, just to make sure that they have enough strength and depth, they go and they add Vernon Davis, and they try and do a bit more business. Yeah, I think the second, the one they didn't get was the really key one. I think if they could have secured Joe Thomas, who is probably still the best left tackle in football, that would have made such a huge difference to that team, who... They've, they've already lost the guy they were starting as a rookie in Ty Sambrello, and they're now down to guys like Ryan Harris and Tyler Palumbo's a tackle, and that's just not good. And it's not good in a way that I don't think is ever going to improve over the course of the season. But if they were able to pick up Joe Thomas and plug him in their left tackle, Peyton Manning immediately can forget about that left tackle spot and really the left side of that line because Evan Mathis is playing well, and that would have made things a lot easier. Um, with Vernon Davis, I think that it's... That one's almost a kind of, let's just see if he has anything left. That, that trade amounts to a six-round pick to get him. Um, and that kind of suggests that they don't really have a huge amount of confidence that he can get back to where he was in 2013 and beyond. But for that kind of, mo- or that kind of cost in terms of trade value, it's worth a shot. Yeah, because ultimately, uh, you could be looking at the swap of two or four picks here. Because I think it's the swap of uh, six for seventh. So we could end up talking about swapping the last pick in the sixth round for the first pick in the seventh round, which will be a decent bit of business for the Denver Broncos for anybody who catches two balls for the rest of the season. Yeah, and and they don't even need him to be where he was in 2013. What they're looking for is a guy that can upgrade Owen Daniels as the that tight end option. You know, yeah. Virgil Green is a guy who's their blocking guy primarily, so it's the, the option as a receiver at a tight end. And I think Daniels has not been the guy they... They wanted him to be, he's, he's a sort of Kubiak uh, stalwart, but he's probably way past the point where he can be an effective weapon. Maybe Davis can be that guy. So uh, football and sport generally pretty good at serving up these, ooh, look look what game's coming up this weekend for uh, Denver and look at all the records that Peyton Manning is going to break in uh, in the stadium that he built. 
Um, and, you know, the Indianapolis Colts were like, oh, yeah, we're, we've ground, we're ground, we've got Andrew Luck and he's going to last forever. And suddenly Andrew Luck looks incredibly human. Are you on the, this is exclusively down to the injury that he's suffering at the moment, and that's why he looks like a very mediocre quarterback? No, I don't think so. I think the bad play was there before whenever this injury was supposed to have surfaced. So I don't think they're helping themselves out. We saw them uh, fire Pep Hamilton, their offensive coordinator, who it seems was universally decided would be a good fall guy for this disaster. Um, But I do think that there's some merit to the idea that they didn't make the changes schematically that they could have made to help things out. So the the thing about Andrew Luck is he's always been a guy that can play in the face of this pressure, wait for a guy to uncover deep down the field and deliver the ball despite a hit coming or despite a, having to run out of the way of a hit first. Um, and it's that's a really difficult thing to do. And most quarterbacks can't get that done for any extended period of time. But the issue is, whether it was the injury or whether it's just he's in this funk at the moment, he couldn't do that anymore. And when the Colts had to start Matt Hasselbeck, they ran almost a completely different offense because Hasselbeck is not that kind of guy. So it was all really quick decisions, really quick uh, routes from his receivers, get rid of the ball fast, don't let the pressure get there. And suddenly that Colts offense looked much better when they were able to do that. I don't think that Andrew Luck is incapable of running that kind of offense. I don't see anything about him that suggests he's not able to play like that, which means it was a decision that Pep Hamilton ultimately was responsible for not to do that and not to go to that kind of offense with Luck there. And that, for a few weeks now, has seemed like a pretty big mistake. So it'll be interesting to see this week with Hamilton out of there whether they try and go to more of that kind of offense. They're, they're going to have to, right? I mean, that's the whole point of firing the guy midseason. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying all season that they need to run, they need to do something like that, but it hasn't happened yet. Now, maybe they just they just needed somebody to take the fall for this and Hamilton was the guy, or maybe they will actually use it as an opportunity to dramatically change what they're doing in offense. We'll have to see. Yeah, so they're 3-5, and five, the Texans are 3-5, and five, the Jags are 2-5, and five, and the Titans are 1-6, and six, and um, you could literally see any of those teams winning this division at this point. Uh, even, even Tennessee, it's a more difficult case to make, granted... <laughs> I will grant you that. But the fact that they've uh, sacked their coach, like, you know, sometimes there's a bump from these type of things. I want to work out mathematically what the worst record is that can actually win that division because that's what I want to root for. It, it, like, at this stage, it could be six. With six games? Could it be less than that? I think six would definitely get it done. I wonder if five can get it done mathematically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That would be amazing because that team, whoever wins, is going to host a playoff game. It's kind of insane, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's amazing. Like, I mean, a, a Blake Bortles-led, disastrous Jacksonville team could be hosting a playoff game against a, a legitimately good team. Yeah, uh, and you know what? In the playoffs, anything can happen. It's a miracle of sport, <laughs> but it isn't really. They'll get, they'll get hammered in that first round and maybe set the franchise back a couple of seasons. But maybe they won't. I don't know. Just while we're talking about the division, any thoughts on the, the Wizenhunt decision to, to go? I mean, obviously, Tennessee opened... And it seems like such a long time ago with Mariota being perfect in that first quarter of his uh, professional career. And they look like, ooh, this is going to be pretty interesting to see what happens since then. They've been a complete train wreck. It looks really harsh when you kind of look at... Wizenhunt has had this series of horrible, horrible quarterbacks since Kurt Warner retired. You know, he's gone through Matt Leiner, John Skelton, Max Hall, uh, just a whole Mettenberger, a whole list of guys that are not even close to being viable. Um, and then he finally gets this guy in Mariota, who's you know supposed to be the, the legitimate quarterback that he hasn't had for years, 
and he only gets a few games to coach him before he gets hurt and then he gets fired. But when you look at his some of the numbers surrounding it, I think he somebody I think Thomas Gower on Twitter posted that he's I think four and twenty in games where he's had long or less than eight months to prepare for the game. Yeah. Um and there's a whole bunch of numbers like that dating back even to Arizona and it's it's tough to defend that. I think you reach a stage where they just say even without a quarterback, you should be doing better than this, especially within such a bad division. Yeah. Just looking at the other teams, um, uh, so we know who's going to win the AFC East. The Patriots are 7-0. and We know who's going to win the AFC North. The Bengals are 7-0. and And we know that the Broncos are going to win the AFC West. And look, the, we just talked about the AFC South being a complete train wreck at the moment. But the, the teams who are on four wins, and even the teams who are on three wins at the moment, are all feeling good about their chances of... Uh, Winning a wild card that'd be the Jets at the moment are four and three, the Bills even three and four, and they've got Tyrod coming back to galvanise the franchise this weekend. Uh, the Steelers are four and four, um, and probably are favourites I'd say at this point. But the Raiders are uh, are a sneaky good team. All of a sudden they're four and three, and they look like somehow in a very short space of maybe two drafts, maybe three drafts. In fairness, they've really restocked their team, and they've done a brilliant job on it. Yeah, the Steelers should be definitely looking to, to secure one of those wild card spots, and they they'll be kicking themselves last week for basically throwing that game away with a, a Roethlisberger meltdown late in the game because that could have put them still in with a chance of winning the division. But you, yeah, like you said, Oakland looked good. Um, you look at that game against the Jets, and the Jets aren't a bad team, but they were just Oakland were just too fast for them almost across the board. Everybody they gave the ball to who's just running rings around the Jets' defense and making huge plays. And Derek Carr has now bridged that gap from last season to Teddy Bridgewater and is probably surpassing him at this point of the season and looks like a legitimately good quarterback. And he's now surrounded with a bunch of weapons. That offensive line is playing well. Amari Cooper looks fantastic. Michael Crabtree is getting back somewhere near his best that we've seen. Um, and he's got some some weapons out of the backfield as well. Plus, there are holes in that defense, but there's a lot of talent there as well with Khalil Mack and, and Alden Smith and even Dan Williams up the middle. Yeah, there's a, there's you know the the two former 49ers, uh, Alden Smith obviously was supposed to be banned for the entire season for like some weird drink driving thing that did potentially involve Colin Kaepernick, and uh, Crabtree was supposed to be a complete bust. So it kind of goes to show exactly just how things have. Uh, really disappeared at San Francisco to the point where Blaine Gabbert is the answer to whatever question they have at quarterback. Let's see the big story coming out this week. Kaepernick, the Kaepernick era appears to be done. Yeah, and the only answer to which Blaine Gabbert is the right answer, or the only question to which Blaine Gabbert is the right answer is how can we secure the highest draft pick possible in the shortest amount of time? Um, yeah, Kaepernick looks done. It's just been a disaster for him, steadily downhill since since they started trying to get him to do more within the offense. And even going back to Harbaugh's time, he tried to take the training wheels off him a little bit, and it was just downhill from that point. And the only good news for the 49ers is that the contract they got him to sign is structured in such a way that it's, it's almost like a pay-as-you-go contract for a quarterback. As long as he was worth starting, he's worth paying good money. But as soon as he wasn't, they can basically get rid of him for almost no guaranteed money. Yeah, I think maybe next year they'll have to bite a little bit on it, but the year after, uh, it's it's they're free from it completely. Um, is there any way that a quarterback can come back from what he's going through? I mean, you would argue absolutely not at that franchise. Uh, although Alex Smith a little bit had a bit of a resurgence once they brought Harbaugh in before, so it's not impossible to see someone 
come out of a funk like this. But ideally, the best thing for him is to get the hell out of there and go and find a head coach who puts his arm around him and says, "You're still the you're still this guy who torched uh, the Packers in a road playoff game, who has rushing records for a quarterback in." Uh, playoff game who was brilliant in a championship game who won another championship game do you know like this guy has all the tools to be a very valuable uh, quarterback in the NFL when you consider some of the other guys who are starting at the moment and he's just rotting now I think there's a group of quarterbacks in the NFL that are never going to be Aaron Rodgers but they're guys that you can win with if you're prepared to change your offense and to bend it to suit what they do well as opposed to saying, this is our West Coast offense, this is how we want you to run it. I don't think Colin Kaepernick is ever going to succeed in a vanilla conventional NFL offense, but I think he's one of a number of quarterbacks that can succeed and can win and win well if you're prepared to help him out. And that's what Harbour did straight away. Is he, you know, he changed the offense to try and help Alex Smith out, and then he thought, as long as I'm pairing it back and making things easy on the quarterback like this, I might as well put in the guy that has all-world athleticism, the big arm, and has all the upside that Alex Smith doesn't have. And that's why he was such a success straight off the bat. But then I think, I don't know if he got kind of carried away by that or if he just tried to, to get even more out of him and started to try and take the training wheels off that offense and started getting or asking Kaepernick to do more and, and make it more complicated for him. But as soon as that happened... It was just all downhill, and he can't do that. But, and it's, it's not just him. It's guys like RG3, and there's a bunch of them throughout the NFL, and there seems to be a, a real lack or a dearth of those coaches who are prepared to do that. I think the NFL is still inherently a really conservative league when it comes to coaching, and the number of guys who are prepared to dump their system and sort of meld it around the quarterback that isn't the guy they want, isn't the, the next Aaron Rodgers, it's just so small. So you see all these guys basically crapping out of the league after they they get disconnected from one of those coaches. Yeah. It's so, it's so strange when you consider the amount of money involved and, and how successful a team can be with Kaepernick when you say, right, this is exactly what we're going to do. You do this and we'll look after everybody else. Uh, we'll look after the difficulties. If you see one option, you throw it there. And if you don't, you run. Um, everybody knows what you're going to do but we know too and our offensive line is good enough and our running backs are good enough to make sure that we can win 9 to 11 games and suddenly everybody's like well this is a successful franchise whereas all the other crappy quarterbacks who uh, you know the Matt Staffords of this world who, oh well he could be good you know I don't know like it doesn't it really doesn't from a business perspective it doesn't make any sense to me that there aren't a bunch of other uh, franchises looking at Kaepernick and going yeah we will definitely give you a fifth rounder for this guy I mean, the other issue is that teams have always been really reluctant to install offenses that rely on the quarterback running um, because the quarterback's going to get injured and they're such a high-priced commodity in the NFL. And that's why, you know, RG3 was always such a big risk. And it's, it's been almost proved right by the way that knee injury hit him and he hasn't been the same guy since. But you could almost fashion an offense with, there's so many of those guys now, you could get three or four of them on board. Yeah and just have a depth chart of these guys that are all similarly flawed, but similarly really talented guys with the ball in their hand. And it really wouldn't matter if one of them got hurt. You know, you could get an RG3, a Kaepernick, a Joe Webb. You could have a three-man depth chart like that. And it wouldn't matter if the top guy gets hurt. You put in the next guy, and it's more or less the same guy. And you could have this successful 
college-style option-type offense that involves passing and running, and I think it would succeed. You just need a an NFL coach to sell somebody on that. Yeah, I mean, if you're Carolina, you're looking at the, your backups and thinking you want somebody who's a running threat in case, for whenever Cam Newton goes down, whatever the, the reasons are. Just on the, so last season, the way that the offensive line disintegrated and obviously Cam Newton was, was injured and probably a far more stationary target for uh, the opposition on a week-by-week week basis. And so maybe that all contributed to what was going on. He's a, a completely different, he seems to be a completely different player they seem to be a completely different team. So it can be done that you can have a blip. Now, obviously, Kaepernick's is so much more uh, of a funk than Cam Newton's, and Newton's a far superior player in every other way. But at the same time, there is a possibility that these things can be a little bit cyclical and you can get out of it. Yeah, Newton's, I think, a different kind of quarterback because he's not limited by the same things that Kaepernick's limited by. He isn't limited to a sort of He's able to read coverages. He's able to diagnose what he's doing and put the ball more or less in the right area. His issue uh, is uh, basic accuracy, I think, is a problem for him. He seems to be, it's almost like he's just calibrated wrong. He's consistently like a yard higher with the ball than he needs to be. And that's why Carolina have drafted all these giant six foot six receivers on the basis that they haven't been able to work out how to get him to just dial it down a bit. So they're trying to get people that he can't physically overthrow over the middle. Um, and just let him do what he does. And I think it's able to, he's able to work within the confines of a regular offense more than a guy like Kaepernick. But I think it's true. You, you can see a guy um, very massively in terms of form, especially when you're not the complete package like an Aaron Rodgers. So the level we're seeing from Kaepernick at the moment is clearly not his ceiling. You know, you can definitely get more out of him than this. Yeah. Uh, the, the NFC West... The, the other teams in the division at the moment, this is really starting to, to cook nicely. The Cardinals are 6-2, and two, the Rams are 4-3, and three, and the Seahawks are 4-4. Four and four. And you can actually legitimately make a case that Seattle or the Rams could yet win this division. Yeah, it's a big game for the Rams and for the Vikings, actually, this week. They play each other um, in a real litmus test kind of game. They've both flashed the ability to contend and the ability to really uh, go after teams but neither one of them have done it for long enough, and they've both dropped games that they shouldn't have. So this is a, it's a really interesting matchup between both of them to see which one of them really wants to be taken seriously this season. Um, if the Rams win that, then usually their, their MO is they play the division really tough, and they, they blow games that they should win outside of it. If they start winning those games and they continue to play that division tough, then they can still challenge for it because the Cardinals have dropped a couple of games that they probably shouldn't have dropped, and they're not out of sight yet. They're a couple of games back from the Falcons in the wildcard race, um, but obviously if they win this week, then they'd obviously be ahead of the, the Vikings. Um, they would definitely deserve a wildcard, and you can also see both the wildcards coming from this division too. Yeah, Seattle, I think, still needs to get their season on track. They've had two games where they've beaten what's in front of them, but what's in front of them has been so bad that it's tough to know exactly where they are still. Um, it, the defense is good. It's, I think it's always been good, really, throughout the the entire season. It's had some blips that it didn't have the, the last couple of years, but fundamentally it's still been a very good unit. The offense has been where the problems are, and they're still there, to be honest. I'm I'm kind of surprised they weren't in some of the trade situations before. You know, Denver went hard after Joe Thomas, 
it would have made an awful lot of sense for Seattle to go pretty hard after Alex Mack for, from Cleveland, who was also on the bench. He would have kind of been, been able to plug in at that center spot, replace Max Unger, who they traded away. And for what was supposed to be maybe just a third-round pick, could have been a, a really smart bit of business to try and solidify that offensive line. But I think their issues are still in that offense. The, the O-line is an issue. The Jimmy Graham thing is improving, but they're still not entirely sure what to do with him. Um, and then it's Russell Wilson, I don't think, has played as well as uh, as he's played in the past either. So it's a case of whether they can get all of that on the, the same page over the course of the, the back end of the season. Yeah, it's these next four weeks, really, that are going to define whether or not a season is successful or a failure for for so many teams. And okay, okay, that seems kind of fairly obvious, apart from the teams <laughs> who have clearly been awful all season. But um, the 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 way that the Rams have managed to um, build their defense over the last couple of teams and, and finally found... Well, okay, it's a transcendent talent, and, and maybe that's a bit of a fluke because they could easily have uh, picked the wrong good running back from um, last year's draft class. But they they did it properly. Is there a template there for all the other teams to you know bide your time, uh, trade away your first pick if you need to, and, and use that wisely, and ultimately in the long run be a team that builds carefully through the draft and is willing to work with a mediocre quarterback in the hope that eventually you find your franchise one. I think there's a few teams that have been moving in the right direction in, in those kind of terms. So the Rams, the Raiders that we talked about earlier. I mean, the bottom line is if you do well in the draft and you do pick smart and, and hit on the right kind of guys, eventually the, the roster is going to improve dramatically. Now, whether you're still going to be capped by what you have a quarterback is, is another issue, and that may still be the case for the Rams, who no matter how much they get on offense and defense, are still starting Nick Foles, and that could be an issue going down the stretch. But you now have one of the best players in the NFL on offense in Todd Gurley, one of the best players in the NFL on defense in Aaron Donald, and those two guys alone are making such a huge impact to everybody else around them. Um, if you look at what Donald's doing to, to guys like Michael Brockers, who suddenly looks like the, the guy everybody thought he was for the past few years, because he's no longer dealing with double teams. Those are all going in the, on the way of Aaron Donald. You know, he's taking the attention that these other guys have been dealing with um, just as the kind of the way the, the scheme and the alignment works. He's now the guy getting in it. So all these other guys are suddenly rejuvenated, um, not just Brockers, but Nick Fairley and the, the defensive ends as well. And the same thing on offense with Todd Gurley. Suddenly those offensive linemen look a lot better. Yeah, yeah. One last point, the NFC East. Uh, the Giants four and four, the Redskins three and four, the Eagles three and four, and the Cowboys two and five. Um, it's impossible to predict what the hell's going to happen here because all these teams are playing some of the most mediocre and therefore quite exciting football uh, in terms, at least, of scoring that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's such a mess. This division, it's still, it's still there for the taking for Dallas once they actually get everybody back. You know, they got Des Bryant back last week, but the impact of that is mitigated by the fact that Matt Castle is still throwing him the football. Um, as soon as Tony Romo is back for them, they could really be in business and immediately jump to the top of that division with a few few games. I mean, they may need to win out to get it done, but if there's nobody there taking that division by the scruff of the neck and actually claiming it. There's a bunch of really bad football being played, especially on defense for the Giants, um, you know, both sides for the Redskins at times. And the Dallas team is the best team in that division if they get everybody healthy. Yeah, they're the best team by a mile, aren't they? Like, when you look at their available roster, does that mean they're being badly coached? Even without the quarterback, they should have been better than 2-5. and five. 
I just think that the quarterbacks they're left with starting are such a big yeah. drag that it's even with even with the coaching being decent, it was never going to happen. They've also been missing other guys. So, you know, you've got the bad quarterbacks. Dez missing is a huge thing for them. They they were out uh, Randy Gregory and uh, Greg Hardy for a lot of that time as well. So they've been hit hard in a bunch of places. I think as soon as you get out of the situation where you're forced to start either Matt Castle or Brandon Whedon, you're immediately winning games you, sh- you were losing. All right, Sam, we leave it there. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Anytime. Sam Onsen of Pro Football Focus there. We'll be uh, back next week with some more fantasy nonsense and the return of mixed picks.